Good morning, Boker Tov. Welcome back to Parsha Perspectives for today. This week we have the privilege of learning and reading Parsha's Nitzavim as we are in the final stages of Chumash of Torah, of completing our cycle. We read specifically when we do. Kisava last week, really, Chazal instituted to read Kisava before Rosh Hashanah, end the year and its curses, begin a new year and its blessings. We don't bring the energy of one year into the other. Each year has its own uh, energy. But uh, this year, for whatever reason, we read Parshas Nitzavim on the cusp of Rosh Hashanah. I want to thank our generous sponsors, serious sponsors for the year, Becky and Avi Katz and family in loving memory of Becky's father, David Grossman, Le'ilu Nishmas, David Ben Menachem, Monash. Also this morning is a sponsor, our beloved member, Carolyn Jarashaw, is having surgery as we speak, as we are learning. So our learning is for a Rafu Shlema, for a Chaya Bas Gossi. She should have speedy, complete, and painless Rafu Shlema. Should hear about a successful surgery. Also this morning, sponsored by Rini and Paul Lustiger in honor of their dear cousins, Lori and Harold Landa, our beloved Landas, by Linda and Murray Markowitz in commemoration of the year of her mother, Rose Markowitz, Rezo Yochan and Shalom, his father, Andrew Markowitz, Benjamin Ben Moshe Yaakov, and by Erica and Perry Galler in memory of her father, Benjamin Ben Moshe Yaakov Halevi. Thank you to all of our generous sponsors. We deeply appreciate. Moshe stands, he faces the Jewish people, and he says to them, you are all standing here when? Hayom, today. We have a strong tradition that that word Hayom is a reference to which day? Rosh Hashanah. You are standing here today on Rosh Hashanah. And what is the way to persevere? How do we triumph? How is it that we are sealed and signed for a good year? Kulchem. When we are united, when we are together, when we are a community, when we are a people, when we are loyal, we just read in the Haftorah, Amech Kulam Tzadikim. We read at the beginning of Pirkei Avos, the Pasuk, that was the end of the last Haftorah. Amech Kulam Tzadikim. And the uh, Rebbe's tell us to read it. When are you Kulam Tzadikim? When Amech. When you're part of a nation, part of a people, when you feel connected to a shared history and a shared destiny, when it's not everybody for themselves, but we subscribe to the transcendent core value of community, of peoplehood. When Amech, then Kulam Tzadikim. If we're judged, if we're looked at as individuals, if we're each on our own, Shem says, bring me him, his file. Bring me her file. Let's see how well they're doing. But when we are amich, when we are devoted and committed, when we are loyal, fiercely loyal to community, to people, putting aside or submitting our own individual needs or independence, subscribing to this higher value, amich, then kulam tzadikim. Then in his eyes, we blend together, we complement one another, kulam tzadikim. We are all tzaddikim. And that is the theme here at the beginning. Atem nitzavim ayom kulchem. We are standing when we stand kulchem, together. Roshechem shivtechem ziknechem shotrechem kol Yisrael. We're talking to everybody, heads of the tribes, elders, officers, tapchem, small children, the shechem, the wise, v'girecha shebekerev machanecha, as well as the convert. Mechotei shoev memecha. There is no socioeconomic divide. There is no class system. We don't care what someone gives or what kind of car they drive or what home they live in. Everybody, from the woodchopper to the person who draws, who carries the water, everybody is represented, everybody is combined, everybody is together, everybody is united, everybody is united. We are all one in that, in that moment. The Medrash says, when is it? When are we firm? And when are we strong? And when are we triumphant? When are we nitzavim? Kuchem lefnei Hashem. You could punctuate, put the comma, not atem nitzavim ayim kuchem, comma. You're all gathered here today together. 
lifnei Hashem before God, but atem nitzavim. When are you standing firmly? When are you standing strong? Kulchem lifnei Hashem. When you're united together, a collective conscience supporting and caring for one another in front of Hashem. When we are together, and this is another theme of our parsha, mutual responsibility, communal and collective responsibility, that we don't leave people alone or isolated or on their own, but we care deeply and passionately about one another, and we realize that our destinies and our fate is intertwined. We'll see the Pasuk, Perach Avtes, Pasuk, a little bit later, Beis. Just skip ahead for a moment. Hanistaros l'Hashem alokeinu, v'haniglos lanu u'levaneinu ad olam. Pasuk says that the hidden things belong to Hashem. Top of page 1090. Perach Avtes, Pasuk Avches. Hanistaros, the hidden, l'Hashem alokeinu. V'haniglos, but that which is revealed, lanu u'levaneinu ad olam. It's for us and our children forever. L'asos, it's called divrei for our children forever to carry out all the words of this Torah. This is a very significant Pasuk. By the way, so significant a Pasuk that this wonderful Sefer I've been telling you about, the Otsar Plaus Torah, this great collection of fascinating, diverse, really interesting uh, ideas, quotes a tradition. I had never heard of this before, that among the Psukim that people, the congregation stands for, is this Pasuk, is this Pasuk to stand for this Pasuk. He quotes from, Minag Nifla Hevi Besefer Keser Shem Tov. Who's the author of the Keser Shem Tov? Not the Baal Shem Tov. Different Keser Shem Tov. Hagon of Shem Tov Gagin. was born in Yerushalayim. And, uh, and then he went to live in England. He was the Av Bezdin of the Svardim of England. And the Rosh Hashiva of all Moshe. So he writes in his Sefer Kesser, Sheitov, Minag London, Va Amsterdam, the Minag in London and Amsterdam was, Hatsibur Omid Aragla, Bashasha Kore Betora Kora, that the community would stand for the following readings. Number one, Aserasa Dibros, and Yisrael and Azhan, Ten Commandments. Number two, Shloshes Vemidosh and Parshas Kisisa, the 13 attributes that we are invoking now as part of Slichos. Number three, Hanistaros Lashem Alokeinu. They would stand for this Pasuk, This is a significant Pasuk, so what does it mean? If it's so important that some communities, we don't, but some communities, England and Amsterdam, had the tradition to stand, then we should understand what does it mean? What are the hidden things and what are the revealed things? The hidden, the hidden belongs to God. Niglos, the revealed, they belong, that's for us and our children. So what are the hidden and what are the revealed? So Rabbeinu Bechaya suggests, the hidden things are for Hashem, means the Tamea Mitzvos. Why do we do what we do? What's the deeper meaning? What's its purpose? Why does Hashem ordain it? The purpose, the meaning, the why. We can posit, we can offer suggestions, we can conjecture, we can study, but in the end of the day, we have to concede that Torah and mitzvot, while we see the richness, we see how it empowers, we can study, we can suggest all kinds of beautiful reasons and they give a ta'am, they give a taste to what we do, but at the end of the day, we have to submit and surrender, we have to concede, the why, it's up to him. When he says jump, our response is how high? Hashem says, this is what I'd like you to do. We say, we'd like to understand. We are in, whether we do or don't, but we'd like to understand. But ultimately, while we can't definitely know the ta'am mitzvos, haniglos lanu that which is revealed about mitzvahs, namely the do's and don'ts, the how-to, the halacha, that's incumbent on us and our children. So Rabbeinu Bachai interprets this pasuk as describing our relationship to mitzvahs. When it comes to mitzvahs, the revealed part of mitzvahs, 
The how and the what, that's up to us and that's revealed. The why, ultimately, we could search, we could seek, it's up to him, let go. Rashi describes this Pasuk as not focusing on our relationship to Hashem and to his mitzvos, but rather this Pasuk, Hanistaros and Haniglos, the hidden and the revealed, is talking about our interpersonal relationships with one another. What are the Hanistaros, the hidden? Are the hidden mistakes, hidden mistakes, but the concealed indiscretions of a fellow Jew. They belong to God. What people do privately, what people do in their own heart or mind, what people do in their own private life, I don't know about and I can't be responsible for. However, the niglos, that which is revealed, that which is obvious, that which is observable, that which we can intervene and intercede and inspire, that, that's on us. Why? What's the principle that drives that? Why can't I say everything you do? Public and private. I'm not getting involved. I'm not touching it. It's not for me. You're you. I'm me. Nothing to do with me. Why can't we say that? Because of Arvas. We are guarantors one with the other. The Kliyaka, the Archaim, elsewhere in the Torah bring a fantastic mashal. You're in a boat with someone else and they drill a hole under their seat. You don't say, as you watch them with the drill, puncture the hole in the bottom of the boat. You don't say, that's your seat. I have my seat. You paid for your seat. I paid for my seat. You could do what you want under your seat. I'm in my seat. As long as I stay in my armrests, as long as I stay in my seat, my seat's my seat, your seat. That's foolish. That's foolish. If you're drilling a hole under your seat, we're all going down because we're on the ship together. We're on this boat together. We're all journeying through this trip together. And the same is true on the Jewish journey through life and destiny. When a person drills a hole under their own boat, in their own life, and we have the ability in a sensitive way, in an inspired way, in a humble way, to try to intervene, to uplift. We spoke about last week. Cursed is a person who doesn't uplift, uphold the Torah. You're exposed to, you're revealed, you're in the presence of someone that you could inspire, and you look the other way, and you ignore their bageling you. They reached out, they begged you. Tell me about Rabbi Brody's explanatory service. Invite me for a Shabbos meal. Connect me to my pintaliyid, to something Jewish in me. And you say, I'm too tired. I'm running late. I don't have time. I don't feel like it. The Torah doesn't say you're neutral. The Torah doesn't say you're power of your Switzerland. The Torah says you're cursed. Arur. You could have. You know why? Because you're in the boat together. We're all in this boat together. When Jews around us are assimilating and intermarrying, we don't say, my family, we're all good. So far, first of all, no one should ever, ever take anything for granted in their own family, their own progeny, their own grandchildren, great-grandchildren. God forbid, God forbid. Many know this pain. No one should ever take anything for granted. But let's say somebody, their children, their grandchildren, great-grandchildren, so far, so good. Everyone's married to a Jew. You say, so assimilation is not my problem. Intermarriage, not my problem. I'm good to go. Look at my line. We're all good. Everyone's observant. Everyone's in the base medrash. Everyone's pious. We're all good to go. How could someone say that? We're in this boat. And there are hundreds of thousands, millions of Jews, not intentionally, but holes are being drilled under their seat in our boat. What you're doing privately, what someone's doing in their own home, in their own private life, in their own heart, how, how can I be accountable? How can I be accountable for what you do that I don't know? Hanistaros, that's Hashem Elokeinu. But Haniglos, what I know, what I see, what I can inspire, what I can improve about myself and hopefully in others, 
That's lanu levanenu. We and our children are accountable. We and our children are accountable. If we see the data and we see the statistics, if we see a world that is chaotic and confused, if we see a community that needs inspiration and we sit it out, then haniglos lanu ulevanenu. You can't say, well, I don't talk in shul. I'm quiet in my chair, in my seat. We have to create a culture, respectfully, not judgmentally, but that creates a culture that says, there's too much at stake. There's too much we're davening for. People we care about deeply. We can't have talking around us. Talk outside and we love you and there's nothing wrong and take a break. But we, we, we are responsible for the culture that we create. Haniglos, that which is revealed and that which we can intervene. Lanu ulivanenu. That is on us. That is our shared responsibility. When Rav would reflect on this, he pointed out, this is not a theoretical halachic construct. This is a central basic fact of Jewish history in terms of our relationship to other nations of the world. Our neighbors have always condemned us for the crimes of a few. If a Jew is in the headlines, if a Jew stands out, if a Jew's done something wrong, we are all held accountable. We're all held accountable. Unjustly, but generalizations of all Jews because the actions of a few. They condemn us because the crimes of a few. Our neighbors don't allow a Jew to be judged on his or her own merit alone. They regularly point out to the behavior of the individual as a means to indict the entire community. No other people, no other nation, no other race, no other ethnicity is held to that standard, judged in that manner. Nobody makes the generalization of any other people, race, ethnicity, because of the outliers, because of the headlines of the few. A Jew steals or is arrested for corruption. We're all condemned. Conclusions are drawn about all Jews. Not just by non-Jews, by the way. Fellow Jews, too, who do that about different segments within the Jewish community. An Orthodox yarmulke-wearing Jew lands on the front page for some reason. It's all Orthodox Jews. Our neighbors understand the concept of arvus. They hold us accountable, the concept of arvus. They say, I don't care if it's an outlier, if it could come from the community, the community needs to reflect and introspect and take responsibility. You know why? Because haniglos lanu ad olam. Because the nistaros, the hidden, nobody can hold anyone else accountable for what they don't see and what they don't know. But haniglos, that which we do know, we are responsible for one another. Atem nitzavim, when are we strong and when are we firm and when do we persevere and when will we succeed on the Yom Adin when? Kulchem lefnei Hashem. When we are united, when we are a community and when we are together all where? Before Hashem. That's why we're going to daven Sunday night for two days and for ten days. Hashem, let us feel we are one aguda achas. Let us be one bundle, one group, one collective conscience. Let us care about one another. Let us recognize and see the people with the holes under their seat and plug them up because we're all on this journey together. And the ship will go down if there's a hole under anyone's seat. We are all in this together. Rav Moshe Sher, the great uh, president of Aguda, Aguda Achas, he pointed out the Sefer Tehillim ends with the words, we say it in davening every day, Kol HaNeshama Tahalaka. Kol HaNeshama. Kol, all of, translate, all of, souls, but it doesn't say souls. Kol HaNeshamos are the souls in the plural. Kol HaNeshama means all of the 
soul. That doesn't make much sense. Call all of thee, sounds like multiple. Nishama is one soul. So he pointed out, if we're all united as one soul, if we have one heart, one goal, and one dream, if we feel the pain of one another, and we celebrate the joy of the other, if we show up to cry, to support, to check in, to provide, if we're able to dance and sing and celebrate the simchas of one another, then we will eventually attract all Jews to join in and praise Hashem. It's when kol ha-neshama, when we are one neshama, tahalaka, then we could praise Hashem. Then we could praise Hashem. I always give this example because it's so relatable for us and hopefully a metaphor for us to, to draw from. But, you know, if your children get together to do something for your anniversary, but a child is absent because they don't get along with the siblings, so they won't participate in that party they're making for the parents. So your, your joy is tempered. It's nice, appreciative for the children who are there, but you couldn't figure it out together. You couldn't all be together. You couldn't be united to celebrate our milestone or our anniversary. So your, your joy is tempered. The celebration is, is diminished. Kodesh Baruch Hu is the same way. Kol, when are we to halakha? When do we praise Hashem? Not when we're kol haneshamos. We're disparate, divided, separate, competing souls. Kol haneshama, when we are united. This is, this is what we're here for. This is what we're working on. These days leading up to Rosh Hashanah, certainly we are increasing and improving and elevating our Bein Adam Lamakom, our davening and our learning and our piety and our righteousness, everything between us and God. But one of the best ways to get through to Him is by caring about His other children. Aguda Achas, community and people and nation as values that transcend our own individual needs for independence. Core values, community, people, nation requires inconvenience and discomfort. It requires sometimes having to make concessions. But we want to be Aguda Achas or not? Do we want to be Kol HaNeshama or not? Are we Kol Yisrael Arivim Zebazeh or not? Are we Kulchem Lefnei Hashem or not? One last connection to the parsha. We'll say, We describe the covenant with Hashem applies both to the people who are standing here this day and those who are not here and those who are not here. In the Torah, that means that this is a corporate binding covenant contract. This is not a personal contract because if it was, why can't we say, hey, God, I wasn't there. I'm not bound by whatever deal my great-great-grandparents cut with you. The promise they made to you about a certain life and lifestyle, I never would have agreed to it. I'm not ready to give up my Saturdays. I want to be able to eat certain foods. I wouldn't have signed up or signed in for that, for that deal. So I'm not bound by that. So why are we bound by that? It's a question many young people implicitly or explicitly ask. Consciously or subconsciously, it's essentially their challenge is, says who? Why? I didn't sign up for this. I didn't join this covenant, this promise, this deal. Why? I'm out. I'm out. All this focus on the royalty of England, some of the drama surrounding it, there are those who opted out. They had to wear apparently a different... Uh, I don't know, uniform, whatever, different malbush. But uh, they opted out. So can you opt out? Can you say, yeah, I, I, just because I'm born in this line, I'm, I'm opting out. I didn't sign up for it. So that's, You can't opt out. You can't live in America, but opt out of its rules. Because the founding fathers created a covenant called the Constitution. And we're bound by it. And we're citizens of this country. Metaphor, I understand, isn't perfect. You could still move can't move out of Judaism, 
but it's a corporate, corporate contract covenant which transcends generations. But the other way you can understand this is, We are responsible for the people who are here. Come Monday, Tuesday, there'll be enormous amounts of Jews piling into shuls around the world to hear the shofar and to celebrate Rosh Hashanah. But for every Jew who will be in shul, there are multiples of Jews are enenu po'imanu hayom. They will not be standing there with us. Do we care? What are we willing to do? Does it matter? Do we see the empty chairs, metaphorically, in our shuls? And what are we willing to do about it? Because there is a spiritual holocaust taking place all around us that is making a disappearance of the Jewish people at a faster clip than Hitler ever could have dreamt of. Ever could have dreamt of, statistically. So do we care about the Einenu Poimanu Hayom or not? Do we care about them or, or not? The Aguda Achas. So maybe that's why in England and in Amsterdam, they would stand up to read this Pasuk. Because this is a really important Pasuk. Hanistaros Lashem Elokeinu. Like Rabbeinu Bachaya said, the Tameh Amitzvah is the deeper reason, that's for Hashem. But Aniglos, the revealed, what's on us, what we could intervene, what we could intercede, Lanu Ulevanenu. Stand up and look around and think about the difference that we can make. That is our awesome responsibility. Let's go back to Parir Chavtes, Pasuk Yudalaf. Chavtes Yudalaf. Lo'avrecha b'vris Hashem l'kecha uva'ala so, you to pass into the covenant of Hashem and into imprecation that Hashem, your God, seals with you today. Asher Hashem l'kecha kores imcha hayom. Kores imcha hayom. Rebleib Chasman, who was the mashkiach of the yeshiva of Hebron, he said the following, Kol Yehudi afilo ha-pasha b'yoser chotev eitzim sho'ev mayim kores imcha kodesh borchu bris ba'ofen prati. If you really understand what this Pasuk is describing, it describes every individual Jew has a personal covenant with the Almighty. Now you'll say, that's, that's remarkable. Can you imagine the king meets with every citizen? Not just the dignitaries, the rich, the influential, but the king meets with the simple, the poor, the everyone. Our king, we all pass before him, the king of kings, has time and space for all of us. My article this week, I'm writing that you know, the coronation of King Charles won't take place for several months till the period of mourning is over. But we're all invited, and, and none of us, I stand corrected. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think any of us are invited to King Charles's coronation. But we're all invited to the coronation of the King of Kings on Monday and Tuesday. It's gonna be a beautiful trumpet played, it's called the chauffeur. We're gonna dress to our finest. We're going to be Mamlich Hashem. We're going to recite Malchios. Kedesha Tamlichuni Aleichem. It's a coronation of the King of Kings. It's greater pomp and circumstance and ceremony and ritual and richer tradition. All of the things that surround royalty, which so attract the attention and focus of so many, we have. We don't have to look elsewhere. We have ourselves. We have ourselves. And Hashem is going to invite us to enter that bris, that covenant, with each and every one of us. We're all invited, and we all have a role to play, and we're all there for, for a deep reason. So Rabbi Chasman points out that specifically in the context of Hashem making a personal, individual covenant with each person, does the Torah delineate every age, every gender, every socioeconomic class? Kodesh Baruch Hu is with everybody, with everybody. There is no hierarchy in his eyes. Perachav Tes, Pasuk Tesvav. 
כי אתם ידעתם אז אשר ישבנו בארץ מצרים, ואיס אשר עברנו בקרב הגויים אשר עברתם, you know how we've dwelt in the land of Egypt, we passed through the midst of the nations, ותראו השיקוציהם ואז גילו להם, and when we passed through those other nations on our way to the promised land, we saw their abominations, their detestable idols, עץ ואבן made of wood and stone, כסף וזהב אשרים מהם, of silver and gold that were with them. And now Moshe warns them, you came out of Egypt and you passed through these lands of pagans and idolaters. You were exposed to true corruption and moral decay. You lived in a place that no longer maintained basic morality and ethics, basic definitions, basic principles of God. And maybe, so maybe somebody has lost their way. I just saw a rabbi advertising a big meal on Yom Kippur afternoon on behalf of Palestinians and I don't even know what. When we live in a foreign land and foreign values and we worship at the altar of other isms, we could absolutely abandon our own faith and, and be worshiping some other religion altogether. Maybe among you is a root flourishing with gall and wormwood, which is the Torah's way of saying, maybe you're rotten in its core. Maybe there's rot within you, which can spread and is contagious, like mold, there's moral decay. Happens to be that the acronym for shoresh Pora, Rosh, Vela'ana, Shin, and Vav, and Pei, and Resh spells Shofar. How do you, what's the alarm that awakens you, that arouses you, that moves you, to not yourself be the source of the mold and the decay, the rot? Listen to the Shofar. Shorash, Pora, Rosh, Vela'ana, it awakens us. So by living in and passing through these other places, we can so easily be exposed to so easily be exposed to, and in danger of, in danger of adopting some of these values which are so far into ours, of becoming corrupt our own, ourselves. Rashi says, Atem yedatem. You know you left Egypt. Because you know you left Egypt, you traveled through those lands, I have to make you swear to be careful. And really, it's very perplexing. Why? I'd say the opposite. Because you left that land, you should know. You left Egypt. You saw the other side. You were exposed to the paganism, the idolatry. You stood at our Sinai and received the Torah. I understand why others will need to take an oath, why others need to swear to uphold. But you, you lived it, saw it. If there's anyone who doesn't need it, it should be you. So why specifically here? So in Das Chachma Umusar, Rabbi Levav, it's the great Mashkiach of the Mir. He says, Even this generation, the Dorodea, this enlightened and elevated generation, among whom we said that the lowly Shifcha saw on the sea greater than the Prophet Yechezkel. After receiving the Torah 40 years in the desert, Even they needed a renewed covenant and an oath and swearing and a promise. You know why? Because no matter how firmly you think you believe, no matter how great your Jewish education, no matter how much money was spent on going to yeshiva or seminary, 
Because when you pass through and when you live among foreign and corrupting forces, you need to double down. It doesn't matter you got a Jewish education. It doesn't matter how inspiring your role models, your parents and grandparents. It doesn't matter how firmly rooted you think you are in Yiddishkeit. The dangers are so great and grave. The winds, the hurricane forces can so make a person lose their way, lose their compass, their, their direction. When you've passed through an Amon Moav, when you've been exposed to Shikutsehem Vigilulehem, no matter how repulsive and abominable they seem to be, you can so easily adapt and so easily adopt. And look what's happened in this great melting pot, this blessed country of which we should be so grateful to be able to live on the one hand with the religious freedom and the safety it gives us, Safety we could use more of, but safety it gives us. But on the other hand, the danger of it welcoming us with open arms and the isms and ideas and values which increasingly should be so foreign to us and are seeping right in, right into the Torah community, children and schools and confusion and corruption. So says Rabbi Yeruchim, why? I have to make you swear. What do you mean? This is the group who are at Harsinai. This is the group who saw miracles, 10 plagues and a splitting of the sea. If there was anyone who didn't have to swear, if there was anyone who didn't have to take an oath, it was this generation. Why them? Because they passed through Ammon and Moab. And when you live among a foreign host, when you live among foreign values, it is so pernicious. It is so dangerous and threatening. You have to double down and take an oath. You have to take an oath. Rebleib Chasman, second Rebleib Chasman of the day. Mashkech of Chevron. And this slow, maybe not so slow, this slippery slope, no matter your education, no matter who your parents and grandparents were, no matter how steeped you think you were in Yiddishkeit, how dangerous and vulnerable it is, is in the Pasuk itself. Where do you see that? First time you saw the Avodah Zarah, the Pasuk describes it as Shikutz Vigilul. What is the translation of Shikutz and Gilul? What does that mean? Disgusting, repulsive, abominable. Second time, what does it look like? Eitzva Evan. It's stone and it's wood. It's an idol. It's no longer repulsive and disgusting and abominable. Now it's stone and wood. And by the third time the Torah references it, the third time you see it, Kesav Vizahav. Ooh, it's valuable. It's beautiful. I want some. What started out as repulsive and abominable, foreign and corrupt, quickly turns into stone and, and wood, innocuous, benign, and then can quickly become gold and silver. I want some. I want it too. It's valuable. It's real. That's the danger. Says Rebbe Chasm, the Pasuk itself is telling us just how that slippery slope works if we don't double down by taking a promise and an oath about the covenant that each of us need to uphold, that each of us need to keep. Perak Lamed Pasuk Beis. Very timely, we have here the source of the mitzvah of tshuva. Perak Lamed Pasuk Beis, page 1090. 
And it will be when these things are upon you, the bracha and the call of the blessing and the curse that I'm giving you. Place it where? In your heart. Put them in your heart among all the nations that Hashem will disperse you among. And when you are living there, dispersed. And when you see that bracha and klala, and when you have, when you have lost your way, v'shavta ad Hashem alokecha, v'shamata b'kolau, return to God and listen to His voice. K'chol ha'shanochi mitzavcha hayom, atav uvanecha, b'chol levavcha, b'chol nafshecha. Everything I'm telling you. Moshe Rabbeinu says to him, listen, not if, but when you will lose your way. Life has ups and downs. Life has feelings of closeness and distance. We're learning about that now in Living with Amuna on Wednesday mornings. We're learning about Ratzav Vashov, Panam Vaachor. We're learning all about godless and katnas, highs and lows of Yiddishkeit. Sometimes feeling deeply connected and plugged in, and other times lost and distanced, and I don't know what's going on. I don't feel connected at all. How do you, how do you find Hashem and inspiration, even when you feel disconnected and distanced? So Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't say if, but when. I don't think anyone's religious life is linear, uphill. Our religious lives are, we hope like the stock market, it trends up. But it's ups and downs and hopefully trends up. But know that there will be ups and downs. Rav Av Mishor gives the mashal, I mentioned this living with Amuna. Chil first quoted it on the one and one He says, you know, if, if you go for an EKG, you had a heart incident, Hatzalah comes and they quickly put on the EKG. If the line is flat, what does that mean? You're dead. If the line goes up and down, you're alive. So in our lives, when it goes up and down, it means you're alive. When you stop having ups and downs, highs and lows, in your marriage, in your parenting, in your career, among your hobbies, in your relationship with Hashem, if there's not fluctuating, if it stop having ups and downs, if you flatline, bad news. You're spiritually dead. So the highs and lows, the ups and downs are the evidence that we're spiritually alive, that we're spiritually struggling. It's a good thing. It's okay. It's okay. And that's what Moshe Rabbeinu says. It's okay. Not if, but when you're going to stray. Just come back. Come back home. Come back home. And listen to his voice. Come back home. Says Rav Tzukerman. I mentioned to you I had the privilege of meeting Rav Tzukerman. Rav Morachai Tzukerman. In Givat Shaul, it took a group of teenagers to meet him. One of the last living students of the Chavetz Chaim. He's no longer living. And his Lev Mordechai. He says, Vishavta, Vishamata. You return to Hashem, Vishamata, and listen to His voice. So why in that order? And why the redundancy? So says Rav Mordechai Tzukerman, Mashalam Adaradoma. He says, you know how you can understand this? Like two people. If you're all the way in the back of the room and I'm here in the front of the room, if we're far away from one another, can you hear me well? No, you say, what? What'd you say? Say that again? I say, come over here. Not my children, of course, but sometimes one can have children who scream at you from their room or across the house, and they try to tell you something. They say, if you want to talk to me, come here. If you have something to say, I want to hear it, come close. I, I can't have this conversation through seven doors, four walls, music playing, and you're in another... I can't do that. If you want me to hear you, if it matters, come close. Says Rav Mordechai Tzukerman, says the Lev Mordechai, the closer you are, 
the better you hear. And that's what the Torah is telling us. V'shavta Hashem l'kecha, v'shamata b'kolo. Hashem says, I've got a lot to say. Not for me, for you. I got a lot. I got the manual, the instruction book for your life. I've got the secret code and the formula, how to lead the most meaningful, purposeful, happy, pleasurable, l'hisaneg al Hashem life. But you're not going to hear me if you're far away. If you're far away, you can't hear. So, v'shavta Hashem l'kecha. Come here, v'shamata b'kolo. And listen to my voice. I could give you the opposite metaphor. You call your children, come close, I've got great news. And they all from their room say, what is it? And you say, come here, I want to tell you. Just tell me, I'm in bed, what is it? You say, I, come here, I sling, I've got great news. But you got to come close. You got to come close. If you want to hear the great news I have to tell you, we bought this, we're going there, this thing's happening, guess who's coming to visit? I have great news. But you have to come close if you want to hear it. Hashem says, I have such great news for you. I have great news for how to live the most meaningful, beautiful, happy, pleasurable life. But, come close, and then you can hear him. We hear better the closer we get. So you can't be far away from Hashem, but say still, you know, I'm lying comfortably in my bed, Hashem. I don't feel like doing your way. I don't feel like coming close. But tell me, tell me anyway. Give me the good news anyway. If we want to hear the good news, if we want the message, we have to make the effort, Veshavta, to come close. Veshavta Hashem Lokecha. Paraglamid Pasuk Yud Aleph. We're going to spend a little time on this. Paraglamid Pasuk Yud Aleph. Bottom of page 1090. It's not just a great Avram Fried song. Ki mitzvah hazos, asher anochi mitzav chayom lo niflesi mimcha velo rechokahi. This mitzvah, we've spoken about it in the past, three or four or five explanations. I'm going to give you five more today because there's no shortage of insights on this amazing Pasuk. Ki mitzvah hazos, this mitzvah, that I'm giving you today, it is not hidden from you. It's not far away. It's not in the heavens. It's not so far away, it's in the heavens. You have to say, who's the one who's going to build the rocket ship to go get it for us? It's not on the other side of the sea that someone needs to build a boat, a ship to go get it. Where is it? Tempted to break out in little Eitan cats, but I won't. It's in your mouth and in your heart to do it. Great. Beautiful Pasuk. Phenomenal. Avram Fried, Eitan cats, amazing songs. Really the most amazing songs to this. Amazing songs. Beautiful, right? What does it mean? What is this thing that is not in the heavens, it's not on the other side of the sea, it's in my mouth and my heart, I don't taste it, I don't feel it. What is it? Where is it? What is it? Ha mitzvah zos. Could we have anything more enigmatic or ambiguous than this mitzvah? Ki ha mitzvah zos. This mitzvah. Which mitzvah? What mitzvah are we talking about here? What mitzvah are we talking about? Ki ha mitzvah hazos. Ha mitzvah hazos. So, <coughs> some say mitzvah zos is all Torah. There's a big machlok as we've shown them. All of Torah. Tariq mitzvahs. Don't think it's beyond you, it's not available to you. It's doable. Everybody, it's not in the heavens. Hashem did not create and give us a system and framework. He didn't, reg- he didn't legislate and regulate a lifestyle that we're incapable of living. He didn't do something that's beyond us, that's impossible for us. He didn't do it for Him, He did it for us. And it is doable. It is doable. It's not in the heavens, not on the other side of the sea. 
It's in your mouth, it's in your heart. Get going. Start doing. We got it. That's how Rab Nachman understands this Pesukim. That's how Rab Nachman understands. HaTorah. I just have to find it. And then I'll tell you what he says. HaTorah ain't an hysteris rechoka me'itanu. There are people who say, I don't know it. I'm not holding in it. I didn't get that education. I don't have that background. It's beyond me. I can't delve into it. I'm, I'm denied access to it. But they're wrong. It's not true. First of all, we're living in a time and a generation where it's more untrue than ever. No matter what language you speak, you can find entree into Torah. It's translated into countless languages. It used to be that, well, I can only learn this hour and there's no class being given then. But now we have something called, and maybe this is the whole reason it exists, because otherwise we could do better without it. But maybe the whole internet is just because you can learn Torah any hour, 24-6. You understand the extraordinary time in which we live? If you lived in a village in Eastern Europe 100 years ago, you didn't have access to a great Torah teacher. You didn't have a great Magid or Rebbe or Mora in town. They only gave a talk when you had to milk the cows or you were doing the laundry down by the river. So you had no access to Torah learning, Torah knowledge, Torah inspiration. And that was the way it was for 2,000 years, for most of the history since we received the Torah. And now we have no excuse because now people have a little device in their pocket, in their ear, that 24-6 you could listen to hundreds of thousands of Torah lectures in any language, on any topic, at every level by incredible people. It's there for the taking. Go get it. Go get it. So it's not a closed book. For many, for a long time it was. If you didn't understand Aramaic and you didn't have a great Rebbe and you didn't have the privilege, which is a privilege of a Jewish education, then it was a closed book, Gemara. But it is no longer a closed book. We both have translation and we have teachers. And whether it's Dafyomi or others, it's incredible what we have. It's an open book for all who come and want to read it, want to grab onto it, want access to it and are willing to put in the effort to make through it. Says Rab Nachman, there are people for whom Torah and mitzvahs are intimidating. They seem impossible and difficult. It's beyond me. I can't do it. Too many details, too much minutia, too many requirements. Can't. But the reality is, and the truth is, it's all doable. Rav Nassan writes in Likute Halachos, Tfilas Arvis. He says, let me give you an example. Tzitzis. Is tzitzis a difficult mitzvah? I happen to be allowed to talk about this because I wear tzitzis. I'm, I'm a member of the club. I wear tzitzis. Tzitzis is an amazing mitzvah. You get a mitzvah every moment you're wearing the tzitzis. So you put them on in the morning, you take them off at night, and every moment you're wearing them, you're getting a mitzvah. Is it difficult? It can be if you're not used to it. Hot, uncomfortable itchy, got to learn how to tuck it in and how to tuck it. <coughs> can be expensive, particularly if you're wearing tchelas. But on the other hand, is it a difficult mitzvah? It's hard to say it's difficult. You're putting on a garment that you don't even notice is there after you start wearing it, and you're getting a mitzvah for every moment that you wear it. So much so that it creates a question some ask, which is, Osik mitzvah. Why do I have to do any other mitzvah all day? I'm Osik mitzvah. I'm doing the mitzvah of wearing tzitzis. I'm occupied with a mitzvah, which normally makes me exempt from doing other mitzvahs. So this answers, it's a great question. The very fact that the question is asked is evidence for how meaningful and significant doing that mitzvah all day is. 
So how could one not do it? Asks Reb Nossan, Reb Nachman's Talmud. There is no end to its reward. There is no end to its reward. What do you have to do? Spend a few bucks on a pair of tzitzis and put them on. Imagine if you got a mitzvah every day for putting on your socks. Imagine every day you moved heaven and earth. Cosmic implications. You carved special reward in heaven because you put on socks. And you're wearing, by the way, this is a hard thing for some people today too. It's the style for a lot of guys. No socks, super tight pants. For them too to wear socks would be a big mitzvah. But imagine you got a mitzvah wearing socks. Shouldn't be hard. Put on tefillin in the morning. Say Shema. How long does it take? Even if you don't come to Minyan, even if you don't say all Davin with Kavana, put on tefillin. How hard is it? Rab Nachman considered the contrast. The hardest mitzvah to do <coughs> among the Tariag and the framework of mitzvos, the hardest mitzvah to do is easier than the easiest work we have to do to earn a living. It's a lot harder to go to work every day, eight, nine, 10, 12 hours a day. Even if you're like me and you never worked a day in your life because you love what you do, it's hard work. It's hard work. And the hardest mitzvah is easier than the easiest work we can do. And yet, and yet, people gladly volunteer to go to work and do so excessively. And I mean excessively, they have enough to provide their family after six or eight hours of work, but they continue to work another two or three or four hours because they want to make a killing. The nicer car, more money in the bank because they want more and more. So when you're hungry, and when you have drive, and when you want it, you're willing to work. And that's the attitude we're meant to have for Torah and mitzvahs. That's what Rav Nachman says. It's not in the heavens, not on the other side of the sea. It's easy. Relative to the other things that we do, the efforts we exert, it's easy. We just have to have the will. The difference is that we have the will and the drive when it comes to the other things. Do we have it when it comes to Torah and mitzvahs? If we do, it's not hard. It's really not hard if we do. Waking up early, I know people who love golf who will wake up at absurd and obscene hours to get to a golf course to get in that early round. But if you say get up early for davening, there are people who wake up very early for business meetings and opportunities and negotiations and networking and introductions because that's going to yield big returns, big money. Even if they have enough, they're excited to do it. But do we wake up that early for davening? It's all doable. And it's not harder than anything else that we're doing. We're capable and competent. It's not in the heavens, not the other side of the sea. Kikar Velacha, it is available and accessible. We can do it. The question is, does, does it have our will? Are we interested in it? Are we willing to do it? Are we willing to do it? I lost my place. Here it is. Kikar Velacha. L'sitcha Elyon quotes the Medrash. It says, B'makam karafi b'ficha u'vavavcha. Where is Torah found? Torah is found. You know why it's not far? The Torah promises us here and says, not hard and it's not far because you know where it is? It's in your heart and it's in your mouth. And you say, well, I'm moving my mouth and no Torah is coming out. So how can you tell me Torah is in my mouth? Chewing, I don't taste it. Speaking, I don't hear it. How could you say, where is it? How could you say, where is it? So the Sefer Sitcha Elyon says, you know where it is? Gemara Nida Daflamid tells us. Everyone's got the little indent on their upper lip where to come from. We have the tradition, the angel gave us a little, a little patch on the way out, causing us to forget all that we had learned. 
Because in the womb, we learn kol atarah kula, baruch atarah Adonai lana melech olam, she'akol nehiyeh bedvarah. In the womb, we learn kol atarah kula, all of Torah, and on our way out, we're caused to forget. In the womb, we learn Torah. We're the greatest Rebbe in the world. We're learning with the Malach, which is why, which is why, uh, when Yaakov is kicking to get out, when he walks through a base medrash, the question is why? He's got the greatest Rebbe ever. He's learning with an angel. Why is he kicking to get out? So they say, you know why? You could have the greatest Rebbe in the world, but if your Chavrusa is Esav, you got to switch yeshivas. It's time to get out. Halachically, according to some, by the way, this is why you're not allowed to get induced, prohibited to get induced, unless there's a medical necessity. You can't get induced for convenience. Chuvas, right? You can't get induced... The Ber Moshe, the Chuvah's Ber Moshe has a Chuvah. You can't get induced. A pregnant woman can't be induced for convenience. I like that birthday. It's the same as my birthday. I like this, whatever. You can't get induced for convenience. Why? Because Bittal Torah. Induced to labor. Because the baby is learning in the womb with the Malach. And you're going to stop the learning? It's Bittal Torah. Also because it's considered life-threatening to be in labor. So when you go into it naturally or medical necessity, then you can. But to do it for convenience, you can't. So in any case, the Gemara says, we learn Kala Tarakula and then we cause to forget. What do we learn? Kala Tarakula, like Reb Chaim's Kala Tarakula. Women also learn Kala Tarakula. What do we learn? How do we learn? But the biggest question is, why do we forget? If we're going to be caused to forget, why bother teaching us to begin with? Talk about an exercise in futility. Talk about a waste of time for the angel. Does this angel not have a better assignment? If Hashem is going to cause us to forget, why teach it to us to begin with? Why teach it to us to begin with? Soloveitchik, many others say, because this is the entire idea of the Pintaliyid. Why does a Jew with no background, Lubavitcher Rebbe was very opposed to saying a Jew has no background, so I take it back. Lubavitcher Rebbe, if he heard someone say a Jew, he would meet someone and ask them, and they'd say, I don't have a Jewish background. He'd say, you don't descend from Av Mitzrik and Yaakov? Your great-grandmothers aren't so Rav Karachal and Leah? Every Jew has a background. Every Jew has a background. You might not have had a Jewish education. Every Jew has a background. So I take it back. I take it back. But why is it a Jew with no Jewish education, an assimilated Jew in the middle of Yehapitzville, feels a Jewish pull, a Jewish conscience, a Jewish connection, a Jewish magnetism. Where does that come from? What is that? Said the Rav, because embedded inside us, there's a blueprint of Torah, which has been tattooed on our heart. True, we are caused to forget it in our consciousness, but in our subconsciousness, we still have a Jewish soul. We still have a Jewish spark. When we ignite it, when we light it in others or ourselves, Torah is not something brand new. Torah is familiar. We're relearning something we already know. We're reconnecting with something that's already been imprinted on our heart. We already have an established connection with it that we are reestablishing. It's not new to begin with. So that says, that's It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. Yes, you have to go learn it again. Yes, you have to learn it anew. Yes, there are some who have to make up for time to catch up in their knowledge. But it's not brand new. It should be and is familiar to us because we've been there before. We've been there before. We've learned it before, even before we were caused to, to forget. Rav Nassim Tzvi Finkel Zatzal, the Rosh Hashiv of the Mir, Rav Nassim Tzvi, says the following. The Ramban tells us what mitzvah is this. 
We said, Kiyam mitzvah hazos. Until now we said, it means Torah and mitzvahs, an observant lifestyle. It's inside you because there's a pintaliyid. And Rabbi Nachman said, it's not hard for you. It's easier than the easiest work that we do to earn a living. If we're honest with ourselves, it's easier than what we do to earn the living. It's not beyond us. Putting on tzitzis is not hard. Just do it. And so many other mitzvahs. But the Ramban is a different interpretation. That ha-mitzvah azos is not talking about generally, but it's talking about specifically which mitzvah? The mitzvah of tshuva. Where do you see the mitzvah of tshuva in these psukim? What leads the Ramban to conclude ha-mitzvah azos is talking about tshuva? Because b'ficha uvelvavcha, what do you do in your heart and with your lips? Repent, restore, return, tshuva. I understand how you do that in your heart. Genuine, sincere change happens in the heart. What happens with the lips? What does it mean, b'ficha, in your mouth? The Ramban writes, that's the mitzvah of vidui. An indispensable part of tshuva is vidui, confession, admission. That's b'ficha, that's done with the, the mouth. That's done with the mouth. So it says, How did we get from the original thought, I can't do this, it's beyond me, it's beyond my grasp, it's in the heavens, to, nah, it's in your mouth, it's in your heart, it's very close to you. We skipped a, a huge chasm. We didn't go from, it's not in the heavens, but you got to drive a little way. It's not in the heavens, but you got to rent a helicopter. It's not in the heavens, but you're going to have to really stretch far to get it. We went from, it's not in the heavens, to, it's right in front of you. It's right there. How do we go from one extreme to the other? Margala Bapume of Rav Nassim Finkel. He used to say, Says, we all understand we're here for a purpose and a reason. We're here for a mission. There are expectations of us and we are accountable for what we get wrong. So how is it that we mess up so royally? How is it that we come up so short? How is it that we fail on such a large scale often? The answer is, Kodesh Baruch created a Yetzirah that has unbelievable powers. It's so tragic. How many tragic people among us and ourselves who have such potential but have so little willpower, so little discipline, who absolutely sabotage aspects of lives because we can't get it together because that's the force and the power of the Yetzahara to so distract, to so tempt, to so corrupt our way of thinking. So what's the answer? What's the antidote? How do we overcome that urge, that instinct? How do we live the best emotional, physical, spiritual lives? How do we make the right choices? How do we show the right judgment? How do we stay on the right path? How do we overcome that Yetzahara? There is only one antidote. Barasi Yetzahara, Barasi Torah Tavlin. Shem says, I created the Yetzirah, so I, I, I created the virus. Didn't come out of Wuhan, China, the Yetzirah. I created the virus, says, came out of my lab. But I also created the, the antidote to it. I created the, ta- the Tavlin. And what is it? Torah. Not for now. Why is it called a Tavlin? Tavlin is a spice. Chazal didn't say, I created the Yetzirah, I created the antidote. Said, I created the Yetzirah, I created the spice. Spice? What does the spice have to do with everything? Not for now, but an important question. So what is the only antidote to this virus? Well, the creator of the virus told us he created it 
And he also said, this is the antidote. And what is the antidote? Torah. Studying Torah, learning Torah, living Torah, inspired Torah. Rabbi Yisrael Salanter explained to Kavanas Chazal, the Torah is called Midah, Midah Eichlin Hagba. V'zawa Eitzah Yechidah, Kenegid Yitzhar, L'zbon of the Shanik Choyom, Sodus Yerush Shamaim, Aydei Limud Musar, Shazay Yazkil, Otamet Sha'ol, Limalik Militaos, Hayitzahara Shirot Lachshilo. Musar, Torah is our compass. Torah is our navigating tool. Torah is our ways, or Google Maps, whichever you prefer to use. But we have a destination we want to get to. And there are all kinds of roadblocks and detours and construction and police and traffic. And Torah is ways. Torah is Google Maps. So the difference between Loba Shamaimi and Karav Lecha, such a huge chasm, such a huge extremes, from it's not in heaven to it's right in front of you is, Torah makes it right in front of you. It's like saying, I don't know how to get from here to New Jersey. That's a bad example because you just get on I-95 and you're there. I don't know how to get from here to wherever, filled with twists and turns. I don't know how to get there. So the answer is Loba Shamayim. You know why? It's still very far away and there's a lot of twists and turns. But here, I just downloaded Waze for you. Now it's Karavei Lecha Adavra Ma'od. I just made it easy. I gave you Waze. Without Waze, there's still a lot of people who don't have Waze. I don't know why they would deprive themselves of this incredible gift Hashem gave us to know from a satellite perspective where the traffic and so on is. But whatever reason people do. So someone says, I've got to drive six hour drive. Let's say someone says, I'm driving to Cleveland, I'm driving to Memphis, I'm driving to Detroit. And I have no idea how to start going there. I don't know which highways, which turns, how you go, which bridges you have to cross. So it's Bashamayim. Like daunting task. How do I go? I have no clue. I'm going to try to figure this out and navigate on my own. I'm going to get so lost. I'm going to veer so far from the path. I can't do it. And then someone says, I don't know. Here's Waze. Here's Google Maps. I put in the coordinates. Just follow the directions. It's not a problem. It tells you exactly what time you're going to arrive. It tells you what to avoid. It tells you how to get there. You say, wow. You just made it incredibly close. So Hashem gives us His Torah. And that which otherwise would be so far away, so inaccessible, so filled with twists and turns, so easy to fall off the path, just became karavelecha. It just says Rav Nassim Tzvi became so close. All that matters, all it means is we have to engage Torah. If or when we engage Torah, it is so close, it's so available, it is so, so right there. So right there. Chavetz Chaim also had an interpretation on this. <coughs> Chavetz Chaim. Torah is telling us that Torah and mitzvot are where? Beficha uvilvavcha. We normally think Torah and mitzvot regulate, they legislate what? My actions, my behavior. What can they not tell me to do? My thoughts. My thoughts, that's me. It's my domain. What to do with my hands and feet, where to go, how to live, that the Torah could tell me. What to eat, and so on and so forth. But what to think, that's what the Torah comes and says, and where else? Bilvavcha. Bilvavcha la'asoso. Our heart, our emotions, our thoughts, they also, they also matter. Back to this fantastic Sefer. Thank you, Mendy. As always, my best farm from Mendy. Otsa plus Torah on this Pasuk. Loba Shamaim. He says, <coughs> we don't have time for almost anything in this I don't have time for. I'm just giving you Maramakomos. Again, I don't get any royalty on the Sefer. Do you? You should. We don't get any royalty. I mean, that's, our, that's our new... In the future, let's, let's get some royalties on these. So, Lo Bashamayim, he quotes, he has a great essay, pages, on 
How could you say Torah's Loba Shamayim? He goes on countless examples of great rabbis who say, you know where I came to this conclusion? A dream, an angel, a heavenly voice. The Raven, Hilchos Lul of Peraches, Kfar Hofia Ruach HaKodesh Bebeis Midrashenu Mikamashanam Ve'alanu Shupasel. The Raven says, Ruach HaKodesh has been in our base Medrash and it told us this halacha is possible. Chassam Sofer in a tshuva or a chayim says, no, 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 the Ravid didn't really mean there was some heavenly voice in his base Medrash. There wasn't some ghost, some heavenly voice. The Ravid meant this is a holy place so we uh, divinely were inspired to come to the conclusion. But you see the Ravid in his commentary in the Rambam is referencing, he's invoking Ruach HaKodesh Bebeis Medrash We have countless great Halachists who invoke chalom, they came to halacha conclusion because of dreams that they had. The Taz quotes Rabbeinu Yitzchak Reb Moshe, the Or Zarua, who wasn't sure how to spell Akiva and a get. How do you spell Akiva? It's important if you ever are invited to sign a ksuba and your name is Akiva. How do you spell Akiva? Ayin kuf yud beiz. That's easy. What's the last letter of the name Akiva? Is it a hey or an alf? So. He quotes the Orzarua, what did he do? He asked the dreamer in the dream, how do you write it? How do you write it? And he answered him, Orzarua la tzadik, uli yishrei leiv simcha, pasukin tilim. Orzarua la tzadik, uli yishrei leiv simcha. Sof tevos, the last letter of every word there, is Akiva with a hey. So it was revealed to him in a dream, to the Orzarua. So again, he's invoking a dream. The Beis Yosef, the great Rav Yosef Karo, the author of the Shulchan Arach, had a Magid who would come in a dream and reveal halacha to him. And there are many, many other more examples. He invokes here a case of Rabbi Kiva Yosef Schlesinger, the Leva Ivri, who resolved a case of an Aguna because of a dream. Hataras Aguna apishemas hakadoshim through a dream. Hataras Aguna al Yudei Chalom. And many other. Torah Mesivta Durakia. The base measure. How could you say Lo Bashamayim? And yet, this is again, this is a perfect example of the kind of really fun stuff that is in this amazing Sefer. I'll give you one last example on Ubachart Vachayim. We have to end, even though, as usual, we didn't get through anything. Pasuk at the end of the parsha. Heaven and earth testify today. God says, I've given you life and death, blessing and curse. Ubachart Vachayim. Choose life. Why should you choose life, by the way, so that you live? If you chose life, you live. Why do I have to be told, choose life so that you live? It's an amazing Reb Moshe on this. We don't have time for But Otsar Plos HaTorah says on this Pasuk, amazing. Pasuk says in Mishlei, this is dedicated, this Torah to King Charles, Lev melech biyad Hashem, akol yatenu. Pasuk in Mishlei Chafalaf. It says the heart of the king is in the hand of Hashem. Kadosh Baruch Hu twists, manipulates them however he wants. The Malbim on that Pasuk says, the Malbim, sorry, on the Pasuk in Mishle, Pal Gemayim Lev Melech, Hagam Shalev HaAdama Prati, Nasun Bershuso, HaBachira Biyado. It's true, you and I, mere lowly citizens, we, <coughs> lowly citizens, we have free will. This Pasuk, Vacharta Bachayim, Chayim V'Mavet, Mavis V'Chayim, Tov V'Ra, Bracho, Klalo, Vacharta Bachayim, free will, we all have free will. You know who doesn't have free will? Lo Kain Lev HaMelech. So I, I don't know if this applies to non-Jewish kings, only Jewish kings, the Malbim's comment. 
non-Jewish kings. The Mishlei specifically speaking about non-Jewish kings. So until now, King Charles, till last week, when was she nifter already? Two weeks ago? I don't remember. They waited a long time for the Leviah. Whenever she passed away, he became king immediately, even though the coronation's not till later. So until now, for 70 years, he was a citizen. He had free will. Every day he woke up, he chose his breakfast. He chose what to wear. He chose with whom to hang out. Every day he woke up, he had his own free will, King Charles, Prince Charles. But the moment his mother died and he became king, psst, the Malbim says, he no longer has free will. Kings don't have free will. They are mere pawns in the hand of Hashem. Maybe the same is true with elected officials who also act like kings in other, in other governments. They lost their free will the moment that they took a position of power. And again, another fun Otsar Plos Torah. I owe you or of Moshe. I want to wish everyone a good Gibbench Jair. We won't meet next week. I'll be available Tuesday morning. None of us will be available. We'll be in Rosh Hashanah. So Vayelech, we're on our own. But wishing everyone a Ksiva Chasim Tomorrow morning, 10 minutes of meaning. Living with Amuna tomorrow night. Going behind the bima with Judge Dan Butler, an extraordinary person who can give us some clues how to do well when you come before a judge. Tomorrow night, Judge uh, Dan Butler. And uh, until next time, until next year. This is the last Parsha year of the year. Until next year. Stay happy, stay healthy, and stay holy.